When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead of those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Then he came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you had cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, If you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, it's good to gather uh, Palm Sunday as we remember and step into Holy Week, remember what Jesus did on the cross as Palm Sunday, remember who Jesus is, an aspect of his kingship. Uh, When we think of Jesus, uh, I wonder what is the picture that we think of. Uh, You may recognize some of these pictures. You may not. Does anyone recognize these pictures? 
Yeah, the, the, the pictures on our windows. Uh, if you don't recognize our windows and you want to learn more about them, there's a little booklet. We have lots of these booklets available. But these are some images of Jesus that we have around the church. Uh, we have, going from left to right, we have the ascended uh, Jesus. And so there he is. We have Jesus' feet being washed. Uh, this is likely uh, by Mary in uh, when she washed him and anointed him with, with uh, oil in preparation. This happened just actually before this series of events. And so it was partly uh, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He was coming to Jerusalem and so he was anointed as the, the Passover lamb set apart. So the, the washing of the feet is one of our pictures. We have Jesus as the good shepherd. I think you find that somewhere over there. Uh, we have a really intense um, boy Jesus in Mary's arms. That's, that's just over here. The, the intensity of those eyes is, is something else. And I th- think the artist, and we've got quite a few really good quality artists in terms of stained glass window artists. I think the artist must have had a thing about eyes because Mary's eyes are not very friendly either, quite intense. We have... Uh, boy Jesus going down to Nazareth uh, with his parents. And then right up the back, we have Jesus uh, uh, at the Passover meal with the disciples, that representation right up the back. Now, uh, this week we had a parish council meeting and we have really lovely windows. And one of the things we thought we'd do is we'd put together a maintenance schedule because we've got an older building and we want to look after it. And so I got a couple of quotes on maintaining our our stained glass windows. And anyone want to hazard a guess what it costs to maintain a stained glass window? No, we've got about 60 to 80,000 that needs to be spent on our windows and that's to these ones which we spent maybe 10 to 15,000 on 20 years ago uh, have begun to buckle again so we'll, we'll need to have them taken out and worked on so there's a bit of work to be done on these windows they're beautiful representations it's just part of uh, being in a church that has these kinds of symbols as a part of it and they're really beautiful windows. They just—we probably need to set aside three thousand every year just to look after them. We haven't done anything for the last twenty years, and I think twenty years ago we probably did the minimum rather than doing everything. And so there's a, there's a little bit of work to be done. So you know, if you ha- if you have some money, if you want to think about it, we'll be having a special appeal maybe towards May. We're looking towards it being tax deductible. These are some beautiful representations of Jesus. It's interesting, if these windows were painted today, you probably wouldn't get a blonde-haired Jesus ascended on on the left. Uh, You probably would get some different images. And so the images that we have on our windows are images that the artists have come up with as they've thought of Jesus, as they've read about Jesus. And so they're trying to communicate to us about who something about who Jesus is. And so I want us to be asking this question, Palm Sunday, as we think about Jesus, was Jesus who you expected him to be? Maybe you went to Sunday school growing up and you learnt about Jesus and now you've walked many years with Jesus. Was Jesus who you expected him to be? 
as you've walked with him, the descriptions of him, as you've prayed to him, was Jesus who you expected him to be? Maybe you don't really know Jesus and so you're uh, not really sure who he is. Was Jesus who you expected him to be? Maybe you had hopes that are not fulfilled. Maybe you have ideas of who Jesus could be. Our description of uh, Jesus uh, is very much influenced by the people that we've been among, the scripture as we've read it, the era that we're a part of. And so as we ask this question, was Jesus who you expected him to be? We're really children of our age, where our understanding of him is very much influenced by the enlightenment, by naturalism, that uh, I have a, a great a preacher friend who described the work of his chaplain in school was always to convince him as to why the, the miracles were not miracles and to give natural explanations for them. As was Jesus who you expected him to be? Who were they expecting? Uh, they were expecting the, the Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't long before he came to Jerusalem that Jesus had raised Lazarus. So this was the Jesus that raised someone from the dead. They were expecting this Jesus. They were expecting the Jesus that had gone everywhere and healed uh, lots of people. They were expecting the Jesus uh, that had gone to the, the prostitutes and the sinners. This was the Jesus they were expecting. But as they were expecting him, they were expecting that he would come up into this mold of who they were expecting. You see, at this time of the year, it was probably around March in 33 AD, uh, they celebrated the Passover. And so in Jerusalem, uh, there's usually about 100,000 people. There was 400,000, four times the amount of people that are gathered uh, were going to share meals. And so when there was a crowd that was gathered to hear from Jesus, it was because Jerusalem was a crowd For every one person, there was now four. And so the streets were crowded. People were waiting, preparing to share a meal. And so they were expecting to just share a meal. Yet every year they they would gather at the gates and they would hope that the prophecies of Zechariah will be fulfilled, that uh, their coming king will be the king that comes on a donkey, that uh, their coming king will come to lead them into a time of peace and prosperity, that finally they would be the nation that they'd always hoped that they would be. And so wrapped up in this expectation of who Jesus was, was this expectation that he was going to be a king. Some interesting facts of donkeys. Uh, he, he was riding a donkey. Donkeys live 40 to 65 years. Uh, the first uh, president of the United States was a breeder of donkeys. There you go, but you never knew that. Some parts of the world, they use donkeys as watchdogs. So beware of the donkey. (laughs) Uh, There is, uh, with donkeys, uh, they have long ears. And the the long ears are not just so they can hear up to a mile away. It's so they can radiate the heat away from them. And apparently, according to a Times article from 1987, it's probably wrong, more people die from death from being... uh, kicked by donkeys than planes. Take it for, for what you're worth. I, I stole someone else's example. Who, who were they expecting Jesus to be? This future coming 
king. You see, Jesus wasn't the first person to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. I don't know if you you remember, but in the time of David, David appointed Solomon his heir, that he was going to be the one that took the throne. But there was another guy in in the time of David, another one of his sons, that wanted to steal the throne for himself. Uh, Abinadjah wanted the throne for himself. And so he grabbed the leader of the army, and the leader of the army, together with him, conspired in the secret place to anoint him uh, as king instead of Solomon. Now Bathsheba, you, you know the story, David of Bathsheba, David had an affair Well, actually, it was her son, Solomon, that was to be the future king. It was promised to her and to him. Bathsheba got wind of what was happening with Abinadjah down in a secret place with the leader of the army and said to David, this is what's happening. What are you going to do about it? And David was on his deathbed. He wasn't well. Everyone knew that he was going to die soon. David said, all right, this is what you've got to do. Uh, Get Solomon put him on a donkey, we're going to get the coats, we're going to get the palm branches, and we're going to have a procession leading him into the town as the coming future king, the king that will bring the land into a time of prosperity and peace. And so Solomon came in on a donkey. Now, ever since the time of Solomon, they're looking for a a king like Solomon, the kind of king that could lead them to be the people who they're called to be. In the time of Solomon, Jerusalem, the people of God were the greatest that they'd ever been. The greatest expansion of the kingdom happened under Solomon. He was one of the wisest people, the wisest rulers. He brokered deals of peace. Only had some problems with foreign wives and going, being led astray to other idols. And so the greatest king, the greatest time was followed by king after king that just couldn't quite measure up. So they hoped, they longed for this future Solomon that would ride in on a donkey and lead them to be a people that they always imagined and dreamed and hoped that they would be. And so Jesus comes in on a donkey and their expectations, their hopes, their dreams are tied up. Will Jesus be this person that will lead in this way, leading us to be a people of prosperity? And will, they, will he lead us into this season of peace? Now that he came riding on a donkey is a, is a sign. It's a significant sign. He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't on a horse, a war horse. He was on a donkey. And because, he was on a donkey because he didn't need to lead the people into battle. He was... He came with great authority and greater power. So there's lots of representation tied up with that and lots of connection as to who they were expecting Jesus to be. So what was Jesus expecting of them? Uh, Jesus knew who he was going to. He knew the problems that he was going to. He knew uh, that the Jewish leaders had led the people of God not to be this place of... Uh, peace, uh, the temple of God, the place of God, not to be this prayer space for all nations. In, in fact, it was a den of thieves. And so he came in knowing exactly what was wrong. And the, the Jewish leaders, well, they were expecting who Jesus was. They were worried. They were concerned about who Jesus was because Jesus raised people from the dead. He was healing people. He was winsome. He was charismatic. And they were concerned that if they let Jesus go on, that the whole of the world would turn to him 
and turn away from them. And what would that mean for their religious systems and their temple? And they were deeply concerned as to what Jesus represented as a threat to them. So Jesus came in and he turns over the temple tables and just before he he looks at a fig tree. And a fig tree at this time, as it bore leaves, was meant to bear fruit at the same time. But this fig tree was representative of the Jewish system of the time. Lots of leaves, not much fruit. And so Jesus curses the the fig tree and his disciples are astounded when they come away from the the temple and the tables being overturned. The fig tree, it's dead. Jesus, the the fig tree that you cursed, it's dead. And and Jesus knows what's happened. He's he's showing them that, that actually this old way of operating, this old way of being in relationship with God, it doesn't work, it's dead. And he was also showing them the the power and the authority that he had, who he was. I wonder, so who who are we expecting Jesus to be? Uh, Their expectation of Jesus uh, was based on their personal experience of walking with him, of seeing him do miracles, of seeing... Everyone saw Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Everyone saw that the lame man that had been healed, the blind man that could see. So their expectation of Jesus was that Jesus just worked this way. This is who he was. And he was saying to them, actually, what I've done, this authority that, that I speak, if you have faith in God, truly I tell you that you can move mountains also. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. I'm not sure if you've spoken to a mountain uh, recently and it's moved, but it hasn't hasn't worked for me. I keep uh, wanting this mountain of dirt to move from one side of the backyard to the other, and it doesn't. I keep speaking to it, though. I don't know if that's worked for you, but Jesus is, is calling us to be a people that believe for more than, you know, just what we expect based on our human experience. Jesus is more than we uh, can fully conceive of in our understanding. He's God. We can't conceive of the breadth, the width, the depth of the love of God represented fully in Jesus, but we can get to know him. And so our expectations are, are formed by our experience often, but as Christians, who we are expecting is called to be formed by scripture, who Jesus is represented, not who other people see Jesus as, not, not by the pictures on the wall, but who Jesus reveals himself to be. And so this continuing revelation of Jesus is not shaped by culture, it's shaped by scripture. And the spirit, as the spirit leads us to understand the fullness of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. Uh, this is a picture of my keys. Uh, I wonder if you notice anything missing uh, I, I like to carry these words, uh, peace, around on my keys. I like minimalist keys. I don't like a big bunch of keys. Uh, and I like to carry this as a reminder that something I'm called to carry by God into any situation, something he's given me the key for, is to bring peace into every situation. 
And so I carry this as a reminder of my calling and purpose when I go home and the kids are grumpy. And I'm reminded that I'm called to carry peace into that place. What's missing from the keys here? There's a, a, tragically, uh, this week the cross fell off my keys. And for me, this was symbolic that uh, so much of our world seeks after peace. But they seek after peace without the cross. And we've been learning from the Old Testament as we've looked through Nehemiah that actually without the cross, peace doesn't work. Peace is an aspiration. Peace is a hope. Peace is a pipe dream that's not achievable. Now, how do we seek to do peace as a world? (laughs) We create laws. Oh, we haven't seen that done before. (laughs) We create laws to ensure that people get along well, to ensure that no one's mistreated. I'm not saying that laws are bad, but I'm saying that they don't work because the whole story of the Old Testament is people getting laws to try and create a place of peace and blessing and it not working. And Jesus came, we remember, uh, because God had to intervene. You see, the problem with us putting in place laws to create peace is that we can't keep them because the, the, the deep problem with humanity is not that we're not doing or don't know what to do is the right thing or don't know how to love. It's that actually deep down inside there's a, there's a selfishness, a, there's a desire, there's a brokenness that needs to be healed and transformed. And that's that everyone from the young child to the old grandparent, we all need Jesus to change not just our thinking, but our hearts so that we love the way that he loves, so that we seek after what he seeks after. And so the world in seeking after peace without the cross is on a hopeless pursuit that is just the same cycle of history. So as we're coming into Easter, who are we expecting? We're not just expecting the king that comes in riding on a donkey to bring the the new era. We're expecting the Jesus that they were surprised by, the Jesus that died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Now, as we think about Jesus coming and peace and who we're expecting, are we caught up in the expectations of our era? You know, there's certain streams of Christians at the moment that will say, all that happened on the cross, I'm I'm not really sure where to fit that in in the faith. God didn't really have to send Jesus to the cross. The problem wasn't that bad. And, and so the, the streams of theologians, the, you know, the guy that wrote the shack, he's one of the key proponents of this stream of theology that takes away the significance of what Jesus did in dealing with sin on the cross in order to restore us to relationship to, to God, in order to deal with the brokenness of our heart. Now, it's not in the movie The Shack, but, uh, but it's in further books, and he's used that as a platform to advocate for his point of view. I'm not having a go at him, but I'm saying in the era that we're in, we want to seek peace without the cross, because we, we don't want to understand the costliness for God of restoring us to relationship and that part of the cost was a problem inside of us that's still being worked on by God because that exposes uh, the, the fact that as much as we strive in our own strength to create a society that functions well without Jesus it's a hopeless cause and and so 
It, it's not that we can pursue perfection in a community together. Uh, we can't. Without the cross, drop the cross, we've got nothing. We're just Old Testament Christians trying to put together a system of laws in order to live well in this world, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. In, in, in fact, if we do what they've done, do what's expected, follow the laws, do the good things. I've heard once described to me that a Christian is just a good person that does good things. If we do what's expected of us, then we get predictable results, right? We could just get Christians trying to do good things. And what is predictable is what's religious because Jesus, was he ever predictable? He wasn't predictable. He didn't do what people expected. He didn't work the way that they had hoped. But what he brought was heavenly results because Jesus was the unexpected king with an unpredictable kingdom. The kingdom goes and it blows. You never know where it's going to be, but God does. And as God works, he produces heavenly results. We prayed the Lord's Prayer just before. And what we pray in there is, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I get foretastes of heaven. And I want heavenly results. I don't want earthly results. I don't want for us, our relationships, our life, our world, what we can produce in our own strength. I want heavenly results. And so that means that I can't expect Jesus to just work the way that he's always worked. Uh, we fit in a, in a church that has traditions. Traditions are okay as long as they don't get in the way of the work of the Spirit. And we can fit within that. But the traditions within ourselves, based on our experiences, can come, become the number one roadblock. <laughs> it's not the traditions outside us. It's the traditions inside of us based on our experience. Now, a number of years ago now, uh, I had a, a friend uh, who died of cancer. She was 40. We prayed and prayed for her healing. Didn't see results. And yet I prayed for other people. And I've seen healing. And I don't understand that. And my experience there can teach me to go, well, maybe God just doesn't answer those prayers. Maybe that's not the way that God works. But he does. And if we don't pray for things that God is able to do, we won't see those results. But if we do, we may not see it every time. But when he works, we'll see that inbreaking of the kingdom that we desire and we look forward to when Jesus returns to bring in the full. I think one of the challenges for us is this question of expectations on us. Am I who people desire me to be? See, I want, to, I want to please people. I want to do the right thing by people. And so these expectations of who people expect that we are can crowd around and shape us into who we become. But actually, I'm called to be who Jesus desires me to be. I'm called to carry what Jesus calls me to carry. Now, for each of you, it's different things that you bring different gifts. Some things are more seen, some things are less seen, but every part is valuable to the kingdom of God. And the question for all of us in it is, not can I follow a formula, but will I follow Jesus? Will I follow the path that Jesus has for me? Will, will I... At one level, set aside the expectations of this world that I will go to school, 
uh, go to university, get a good job, get married, buy a house, produce kids that go to school, go to university, get a job. At one level, I set aside those things and go, well, the pattern of my life doesn't have to look like the pattern of this world because I'm a child, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm part of the family of my king and he wants to lead me. And it may look like that you do a bunch of these things not the same way or it may look like that you do none of those things and your approval comes from your father in heaven who loves you and wants to lead you on a path of following his son Jesus in order to see Jesus' mission continued in the world. For me, uh, not knowing the future is at one level scary but at another level exciting. Because if I look to what Jesus has prepared for us, uh, for me, uh, I know that it's good. I know that he's with me. I know that it's exciting. And I know that he's going to deal with the dark places of this world. He's going to send me into some of them to bring light. Because people expect us as good Christians, you know, to collect food and give it to the, the poor. But what about going and eating with the, with the people that are broken and lost? That's something Jesus would do. A lot lot of people uh, will say, oh, I don't really like church. I don't like Christians. (laughs) But I like Jesus. I like this guy, Jesus, who I hear about, who I've heard stories about. Now, that's that's funny to me because at one level, we are called to be Jesus' hands and feet to the world, Right? Like as God works in us, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. He's shaping, renewing, forming us that we would think and see and act in a way that people would, when they experience us, get a taste of Jesus. That as we relate and connect with each other, that we will give each other a taste of Jesus. And as we relate and connect and grow and be together our hunger and desire to go meet Jesus grows, but our longing to serve Jesus' mission as we see it as, as true and life-changing also grows. So there's this tangible, I want to meet Jesus face-to-face, but I want also other people to meet Jesus fr- through me. And that's not an arrogant thing. That's a life-giving thing because you see that a world without Jesus is a world without hope. I'd like to give you a challenge. Uh, a few weeks ago, I said, how about you read Mark's gospel and get to know Jesus a little bit better? I would like you to read all of Mark's gospel this week. 16 chapters. We almost read a chapter this morning. Be recaptured as to who Jesus is. As your mind and your heart are captured by Jesus, only in that space are you able to lead people to know and love that Jesus as you represent him to this world. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. Thank you that that Jesus is not dead, he's risen, that we celebrate his death and resurrection. And we thank you for both. We, We thank you for what you did on the cross for us to reconcile us, to restore us, to make a new way for us, to bring us to new life. Uh, we thank you for the hope that it gives us, Lord, that as, as you were raised from the dead, so we too shall be raised. And thank you that even now you're working your resurrection life in each of us. Lord, continue to work in us 
continue to fill our hearts and minds with a big vision of who your son Jesus is. That we will be filled and captured with a love for him. Uh, that we would live in such a way that we lead others to be captured by Jesus as we lift him high. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that in the way that we uh, behave and act and interact, but also help us to do that in a way that we speak and invite other people to know Jesus. Lord, even as we come to Easter, we pray that you be laying on our hearts uh, those who don't know Jesus and the ways that we can represent him to them. Uh, Lord, where we're needing hope, where we're needing to be restored to you, I thank you, Jesus, that, that you are who we need. Give us a deeper revelation of aspects of your identity that fills our heart with love and hope. Uh, restore us, Lord, where we're needing restoration, Lord, that, uh, Lord, we, we would find healing, renewal and strength uh, at, your, at your feet that we would find mercy and kindness. Thank you that you loved us so much to go to the cross for us. Thank you that you love us so much the way we are. Uh, And thank you that you love us so much that you see your transforming change working in us to make us like your son. And so that we pray that you do this in his name. Amen.